Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Murray and host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church as we deal with race, ethnicity, nationality, and the historical to the current mistreatment of African American peoples. We discuss biblical and non-biblical means of reconciliation and seek to model a spirit of charity and humility when dealing with these very emotionally charged issues. I trust you'll be encouraged. Here we are, friends, Culture Conversations, and we have the, the four pastors of Eternal City Church. We have Grand Master Bishop, Eddie Jones, recently dubbed. <laughs> recently dubbed. <laughs> we have the theologian, the Reverend Wright, Pete Rue, and we have the sociologist, Justin Coxham, and I myself am the voice of one crying out on the podcast, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So all jokes aside, we have some serious things to talk about this evening, Uh, specifically what has happened this past week on Monday with George Floyd and the subsequent aftershocks from that earthquake. And so we want to deal with that specifically. However, just a few weeks prior, Ahmaud Arbery was hunted down, I think that's safe to say that, and killed right in front of all, all of our eyes on video. And as we were mourning that loss and trying to deal with it, here comes another slap in the face. And so we thought it appropriate as the elders and pastors of Eternal City Church to address these these issues um, through a podcast and to try to be honest and open and offer some help. And in addition, uh, Justin and I had a conversation sometime back that we needed to prepare for the summer because it was inevitable that there was going to be some confrontation with the police and the African-American community. And so we started thinking about this back in, what, January? Yeah, I think so, January. Yeah. yeah. So we, we created an outline, and we thought about ramping up the podcast and, and kind trying to be preemptive. So we did not put this together in light of what has happened uh, in the past several weeks, but rather this has been in the plans. But we thought it's wise to, to do it now. Right, brothers? We, we consulted each other, and we thought this is a good time. So theologically, uh, the gospel uh, of Jesus unites all peoples, right? This is, so we're going to talk theologically, we're going to talk sociologically, we're going to talk in in terms of justice, and and we'll talk personally as well. But as far as theology goes, when we become Christians, as Ephesians 1 says, we are uh, chosen before the foundation of the world. In time and space, Ephesians 2 says we are made alive when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then flowing from saved by grace through faith, we are saved unto good works. And so the the salvation is supposed to work itself out. Uh, Recently, Matt Chandler, in light of what happened with George Floyd, went on Instagram and said, we don't believe in a truncated gospel. And you know, what he meant by that was, we don't stop at we're saved by grace through faith, period. Flowing from grace through faith, Ephesians 2.10 says, good works flow out of this regeneration, out of this being born again. And so we see not only this issue of justice, but this issue of peace and working towards unity in the church as that good works that flow from salvation. Eddie, you preached on Ephesians 2 recently, and you, you preached on the two becoming one. And could you give us just a few minutes of that theology of unity? Just for a few minutes. Uh, yeah, well, um, Ephesians 2.14, I think it is, um, talks about God um, 
making one new man out of the two. Um, so we are reconciled, and he actually uses the word reconciliation. And so we are reconciled in Christ positionally. But I think the issue is us working at that out practically in, in our lives and in the church and in the world. And so, because um, we can just take the word reconciliation and say, well, we are reconciled according to Ephesians 2.14. Yeah, we are. Um, like I said, positionally, but are we practically? And that's not always the case, obviously. Um, you can use the same example with your marriage. You and your wife are one positionally, but are you always one practically? And if I ask her, she may give an answer than you, right. different answer than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so so th- that's just an example. But um, so we need to... To, to live out Ephesians 2.14. And, and part of doing that is addressing injustices um, across racial lines. Injustices, period, but in this context, across racial lines. And so I think um, Ephesians 2 would encourage us to do that. And also in, in Ephesians, we are to um, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And that requires us working together. Endeavor, it says. It sounds like work to me. Um, so it's not going to happen by osmosis, right. in other words. So uh, unity and reconciliation requires us doing something, you know, and I think um, that's what we need to do. And when these kind of situations uh, rise up in particular, this is an opportunity for us, for the church, to show our reconciliation positionally by practically doing some things. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Eddie, thank you. And, and moving on from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the practical section starts 4, 5, and 6. And in 4, what you just said was, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But I love that you said uh, it, it takes work. It's not just, we feel like it should be automatic, but it's not automatic. And there's all these tensions and emotions and disagreements. And practically, uh, we don't quite know how to do it. Right. Like there's all these ideas of how that should be done. And some of them are not so godly and not so biblical, which we'll get into that later. Uh, the the non-helpful worldly ways of trying to, to create reconciliation. But I love what you just said. It's a gospel implication that we are reconciled. And so let's work out practically the reconciliation that's there because we're in Christ. Yes, And um, what you said earlier about there's the um, content of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where where Paul lays out what the gospel is. But there's also the scope of the gospel. And the content, we a lot of times tend to focus on the content only, mm-hmm. you know, the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the like gospel. Like the information? Yes, yes, the, yes. The, okay. Um, yeah, the, the content of what First, First Corinthians 15 talks about. But what about the scope? How does the content of the gospel work out itself in the scope of the gospel? Um, Ephesians 2.10, doing good works. And doing good works, um, uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. And one of the ways is to do good works is to fight injustice. Mm. That's good. So we'll get to this again later, but real quick, could you define for us this sense of biblical justice and biblical fighting against injustice versus there's a worldly way that we can interpret that as well. And sadly, we're in a a cultural moment where justice, uh, when the culture says it, it means something very different than when the Bible talks about it in Micah. Uh, so can you give us a biblical sense of justice versus, you know, the, the whole LGBTQ revolution has been put into the, to the justice world, and we would not affirm that as doing justice. Could you give us just a simple uh, definition and help us here with biblical justice and injustice versus uh, a worldly sense of, uh, like, the social justice camp? Yeah, I think biblical justice is doing right by people, if I can just simplify it like that. Doing, doing justice, doing righteousness, um, 
and that will require a lot of times um, using our, our, our political system, our criminal justice system, and, and seeing to it that they um, administer justice righteously and not um, in favoritism, showing favoritism, or, uh, uh, um, yeah, showing favoritism, I guess is one way I can say that. So doing justice, the Bible talks about God's throne is established with justice. And so doing justice righteously, I think that's probably the simplest way I can put it, doing what's right by the individuals who are oppressed. Um, and even if, it's somebody, even if it's a situation where a crime has been committed, uh, justice being served is that person who committed the crime uh, gets just punishment, yeah. if you will, and not, uh, um, you don't overdo it, quote unquote, unquote, or, or um, show favoritism. Par- partiality. Partiality, exactly. thank you, that's what I was looking for. There's no partiality in biblical justice, none. You know, because of financial uh, status, because of race or ethnicity, or because of uh, family relationships, any of that. Justice is done properly, showing no favoritism at all. Whereas in the world sometimes there's justice uh, in those other areas. There's, there's, and it's not justice at all. Um, because when you show favoritism, um, the Bible talks about bribery in the, in the book of Proverbs, um, where if a, a judge being bribed, you know, and that's an unrighteous thing, mm-hmm. you know, or showing justice uh, to promote sinful means, sinful behavior. That's not biblical justice either. You know, now it's one thing to, to, to give justice to somebody whose lifestyle we may not agree with because they have been done wrong. Now that's proper, yeah. but not to promote uh, a, a lifestyle or a behavior or a sin all in the name of justice. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I would love to hear Justin's answer yeah. to this, ahead, actually. Peter, no, I was just going to say that I think that's a, a helpful definition, a helpful way to look at it, and it's rooted ultimately in the Imago Dei. It's yes, exactly. Thank you, Paul, the, Pete. The, yes. the, image of, the image of God, we are all created in that image, and so regardless of the tone of our skin, regardless of where we are socioeconomically, we are all made in the image of God, and so the way we treat others needs to, needs to match that very fact. That, that it's rooted in creation is why we believe in justice and why we believe in biblical justice. It's not some man-made ideology. It's rooted in the very created order of how we were made. It's mm. good. Yeah. I think uh, uh, to maybe sum up what's been said, mm. doing justice is doing right by people, like you said, mm. and it also prevents us from doing harm to people. Yes. And in yes. both of those cases, both right and wrong or right and harm need to be defined by the Bible for yes, it to be biblical you. justice. So uh, the term justice is thrown around a lot, right? And I think it is important for us to define to what ends are we working for and to what, uh, where are we deriving our definitions of biblical justice. And perhaps, you know, um, we've, we've taken those terms for granted and don't always know when or what ends we're working for. Because traditionally, America, um, and, and that's a very complicated, um, it's a very complicated story underneath this, but America has, in its history, had some form of Judeo-Christian values. Um, not all, but some. And so I think as society becomes more secular, it's important for us to define 
what we means, what ends we're working towards when we say justice. Right. That's good. One thing I want, I want to add, too, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, it talks about um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I think one of the reasons that law was in place so that justice would be served properly, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. In other words, um, you, you render punishment according to the crime. Right. You don't, uh, if somebody steals from you, you don't kill them. Mm-hmm. That's not... Yeah, like you know, Le- Lemek... In the Old Testament, yes. said seventy times, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll be yeah, avenged. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that's a good example yeah. in, in scriptures. Yes, yeah, good. Um, and and practically, Eternal City Church has uh, as one of its now five core commitments to unify people. So this this sense of injustice that we all feel, especially when you watch the video. I don't know if you brothers have all watched it, but you know, at at the moment I started watching it, I got an upset feeling in my stomach. Like I was like, this is terrible. What's happening? And and it just goes on and on and more people continue to gather. Uh, I'm talking about the George Floyd video, obviously. And, and you immediately, you can, you can think to yourself, if that was my father, if that was my brother, if that was me, there, there you go. You would immediately get the sense of what should be done, right? Because you would say, what should be done unto me? There's what should be done unto this person. And there, there's a sense, an easy way to find out what is just and unjust. So Eternal City Church has this core commitment to unify peoples. And what we are trying to do is to unify cultures, classes, colors, and capacities. By that, we mean intellectual and and capacities for skills and giftings and and all of that included degrees, non-degrees, capacities. Um, This is an effort in doing so. Uh, And and brothers, have you found this core commitment to be the most difficult as far as trying to communicate it and get others to be on board or no? I think so, because it not only does it require us to walk in justice and rightly define biblically what's right and wrong, but it also requires us to walk in love. And from the church perspective, when we shift from the culture to the church, we not only have to have the justice conversation, but in the church, we also have to have the love conversation because Jesus said we'd be known by our love for one another. So the question we have to ask ourselves in the church is not just about justice, but about love. Are we effectively loving each other the way that Jesus said we should? And that's costly, that's hard, that's difficult, and it, it takes time and effort. Pete, how, how have you seen the unifying people's core commitment work out in the love context that Justin is talking about, like practically? Yeah, I, th- I think it. we see that practically working out in just the way in, in our church we are seeking to reach out to people. So just personal example from the situation this last week with George Floyd, being able to, to contact um, black men in the church that I know that are, are working through this, like, and sending, a, sending even a text message that just says, I'm sorry you're having to go through this. I don't understand it. I, I don't experience it the way that you're experiencing it, but I'm sorry that you have to go through this. Um, and, and that alone, I think, is a demonstration of love. And I think there's countless stories of things that have happened in the church where, where the, that has taken place, where it says, we, we are going to weep with those who are weeping and we are going to care for and love those people and in doing that we are seeking to be unified we are seeking to say that my affections for for you go beyond just the the hurt you're feeling it goes to the fact that we are brothers and sisters in christ and we are unified ultimately in him and so that that love and extension isn't just a 
a means to appease or a means to do what society's telling me to do. It's, it's a means to say, this is, this is loving my brother and sister in Christ in, mm-hmm. and trying to care for them in a, in a very hurtful time. Amen. Amen. Like yeah, yeah. I think one of the reasons it's a challenge and maybe difficult is because we're trying to go beyond the surface, mm-hmm. uh, um, surface term reconciliation or unity. Uh, we want we want to be real. It'd be like a know? veneer of unity. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. We don't want just assimilation. We want real reconciliation. And so, and and sometimes that. That's going to bring about difficult conversations like the one we're having tonight and talking about different topics like the one we're talking about tonight and challenging people's view and, and all of that. It, it entails all of that. And so that's, that's not always easy. And so people don't always want to do that. Um, they want to stick with the service level. And uh, so I think that's one reason it's a challenge. But it's a challenge worth having and worth taking and worth, no, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. And, and two, I'll, I'll say a couple things to the, the challenge part of it as well. Um, oftentimes I think we have a misunderstanding of what unity is. Mm-hmm. Um, Thibidi Anibule says this in a, a study guide from Ephesians 4, and he says that unity is not conformity. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. seeking yes. to just conform everyone mm-hmm. to, a, to a set standard and then pick that standard as white culture, black culture, and everyone conforms to that. Mm-hmm. That's not unity. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and the second challenge is you see it within social media, you see it within the news. Society does not want unity. Mm-hmm. Society isn't mm-hmm. looking for mm-hmm. unity. Wow. Um, they're, they're not seeking for white people and black people to come together and actually be unified. They're looking to divide. Um, mm. As sad as it is, the, the media desires things like this because it means more clicks, it mm. means more mm. news ratings. coverage, it yeah. means more ratings. And so they're comfortable with these things happening. And sadly, it comes at the expense of people who desire to be unified and yet struggle because there's this oppressive force. And I think ultimately it's from Satan and demonic realms saying, don't be unified. Yeah, don't be unified. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's good. And, and I agree that it would be wise for us to not only bring up, to, but to further discuss uh, Satan's desire mm-hmm. to oppose God's vision of Revelation 5 and 7, which is the end game, if you yes, will. Amen. Every tribe, every nation, Everyone every tongue, came, yeah. every language, every people around the throne with their distinctive still intact, praising God, but there's real legit unity. Yes, so amen. we will amen. see Ephesians 2 and 4 worked out in real time in Revelation. So that, that's to come. But that doesn't mean just because it will be one day yeah. that we just say, oh, yes, well, one right. day, you know, Absolutely. let's stay, let's stay yeah. monoculture. Yeah. Let's stay, hey, you're a hymn church and you, you know, you're predominantly white. Let's mm. just keep you there. And your gospel, you know, old school, new school gospel, and you're predominantly black. Let's keep you there. And one day, mm. Revelation Amen. will be unified. No, we, we should work for that now. Exactly. Any of you guys want to talk about that? Because there are some who don't think that we should work for it now, and we should just stay brothers, but kind of separate, but equal. <laughs> 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 am, I, am I going too far? Or is that no, really? no, no I, I don't doubt that at all. But no, that's not, that wouldn't be a biblical church. The church is, that's not a biblical example of what the church is. Um, and why would you why would you want to do that? But anyway, yeah, um, I don't think that's 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 biblical at all. I think we um, we may not be able to do that perfectly like like Revelations five and seven, but we are to work towards that. You know, just like anything in our life, we're not going to be we're not completely holy and we don't live, but we are to work towards um, holiness in our life now. Same thing. So um, so we need to we need to to fight for that. 
to fight for that, so the world can see what the church is and what the church is supposed to look like and what, and what God requires of us as human beings, people made in his image. We are required. It's not a suggestion that we do this. This is a command that we be unified. Like I said, um, and like you said, I, I love what you said. Tony Evans said the same thing. He said oneness doesn't mean sameness. Yeah. And, and oneness in Ephesians 2 doesn't mean sameness. You know, we don't look alike. We don't talk alike. We don't sing alike. We don't do anything alike. But we are one. You know, it's like the Trinity. One. It's good. Three in one. And, and, and we as a church body uh, can bring all those cultures and ethnicities together and still be one and function as one. And I think we need to do that. And, and particularly around difficult situations like this one, like um, injustice, whether it's racial or otherwise, we can still exemplify unity. It's not going to be easy, and we're not going to agree on everything even, even about how to do that, mm-hmm. but we can still exemplify that and work towards that. That's good. That's good. And, and you see a biblical pattern of it as well. Yeah. Um, when you think of the early church in Acts, and as Peter's given the vision to go to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. and you start to see some of the the Jewish tradition kind of pull away from the Christian church and people are starting to accept Gentiles to where, um, I know we get to it in our agenda later, but Paul confronts Peter over the fact that he's, yeah. he's allowing this cultural divide to bring disunity, not, not to just people groups, but he's saying you're dishonoring the gospel mm-hmm. in doing this. Like you, you are disrupting what the gospel intended and that was to unify peoples to bring people from all places together. And you see the example of, I, I don't know how you can read Acts and walk away with an expectation of white church needs to be here, black church needs to be here, Asian mm-hmm. church needs to be here. It, it just doesn't fit within the biblical context. Amen, amen. That's good. And, and, and it's just easier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that's the, that's yeah. the draw. Yeah. Yeah. The attraction yeah. is, yeah. well, that's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to change anything. We don't have to adapt anything. Mm-hmm. We don't have to deal with grievances. We don't have to have hard, hard, hard conversations. We don't have to be unified and yet disagree. I mean, all that is in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, let, let's, we'll, we'll go back to, to Galatians and Acts. We'll, we'll hit that again in, the, in, in a moment. So socially, America has had an ugly history, right? And no one wants to deny that. Um, you know, before any of us were born, there was some ugly stuff going on with slavery mm-hmm. and then to segregation and Jim Crow laws. And even in 1968, MLK uh, is, is shot and assassinated for trying to bring unity mm-hmm. and to see real biblical justice happen where, where there's equality, mm-hmm. not of outcome, but of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, Eddie, you and I, we shared a message in one of our series called uh, The the cursed in between and to show unity you and I stood on the stage together and we talked about race and we believe that there's one race there's the human race you know from one man he made every nation of men Acts 17 and that is Adam and Eve and in that uh that message there we we talked about where did this idea of races come from can you do you remember that information not so detailed but could you give us a, a 30 second brief on that um uh there was during um indentured servitude there were whites and blacks who were part of indentured servitude and and they were pretty much treated the same um and they were complaining about about the same things so in order to to bring about division uh the the race was created to cause um division between the indentured servants you know um uh, the white masters would say, well, you know, we're white, quote unquote, they're black, quote unquote. So therefore, you know, there's a difference. And so the indigenous service started, the white indigenous service started looking at the black indigenous service as different and less than. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and this is a short version of this. So that's, that's how, where it started. Um, that's where you get white and black from. People were never referred to in those terms before that. They referred to according to the nation they came from. Um, he's uh, Irish and, and she's Swedish. He's Ethiopian. He's Nigerian. That, but after that, people were, were being referred to as white or black. And that's where those terms come from today. And we still use them because it's so embedded in our culture. Um, but, but race is a social construct in, in those terms. And so when you hear whiteness or blackness, those are not biblical terms, but those are constructs that were created. And that's why we still use those terms today. You, you know, Chris is white and I'm black. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that wouldn't be a biblically correct way to define either of us. Mm-hmm. And, and Darwin has something to do with the social yes. injustice and the systemic mm-hmm. part. Any of you guys, Pete, you're a Darwin, you know, PhD. Can you give us fan. some of that? Uh... <laughs> I thought you were going to say a Darwin fan. <laughs> hold, on, hold on a second. Yeah, so, um, so Darwinism ultimately devalues the human life. Yes, and, yes. And, and I think you start to see some of the ramifications of that through various eugenics programs that have taken place over the years in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, you think of even the, the beginning of Planned Parenthood and the, the founder of that had a desire to essentially extinguish mm-hmm. black people um, through, through eugenics and through the, the destruction of human life. And, and so I think there's a, there's a natural correlation from, from Darwin and from that philosophy and that thinking that um, ultimately put people into different categories mm-hmm. of value mm. and, and ranked them. And sadly, throughout history, you see where um, the black community and black people have historically been ranked lower than others. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, that is a direct correlation to, I believe, how, how Darwin's yes, Darwin is is. And Darwin yes. thinking is. Right. Yeah. Um, Justin, you're, you're adept at these historical implications. Uh, and, and you've also thought about deeply how this has impacted the church mm-hmm. from segregation to white church, black church. You came from a historical black church. Mm-hmm. Could you talk briefly uh, or length, lengthily, is that a word, uh, about <laughs> how this has affected the church in particular? Yeah, I think so. I, it's a very interesting dialogue to have because in one sense we can say uh, it's unbiblical for the church in America to be so divided among racial lines. And yet historically, you have denominations like the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, which was founded because the Methodists would not allow black people within their worship context. And so the black church in many ways has formed and is still surviving because many churches historically, and I think you could also say presently, didn't fully validate or disciple black people well. And so they're saying, okay, we're gonna form our own churches and disciple our people. Whereas you have, uh, and again, this goes back to the idea of race, right? Where white mm-hmm. is, a, is a category that contains Irish, Italian, Swedish, mm-hmm. people who all contain the same skin color, but may or may not actually have any real cultural significance right. of mm-hmm. being together. And then you have black churches where people have had to be there out of survival. Um, because uh, in many terms, we, we weren't allowed to be able to be full participants in worship services. And so I think when we analyze the church today, Uh, we should have that same historical mindset of, well, these churches are segregated. They're segregated for different reasons. And I think that gives us a little bit of nuance to be able to describe uh, and maybe even think about a way forward for the church in America today because historically, uh, 
or sorry, presently, the church by a, a lot of measures is still just as segregated as it was during the 60s when there were signs outside of churches that said no blacks allowed. And I think that's something we have to consider as we consider the state of the church today is, is this gospel that we believe that, as Pete was saying, is so countercultural and transformational, does it, has it really taken root within the church today? And I think we have to do that with nuance, right? Because there are certainly historical uh, patterns that have allowed churches to be segregated for different reasons. So it's, it's, a, it's a deep and interesting conversation to have, uh, but one I think we should have because it is yeah. worth it. And it's worth it for us as the church, the, the, the capital C church in America, to think about how we could have more churches that are uh, truly a reflection of Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9. That's good. Do you want to say something? Uh, I was just going to say, um, you know, people say, well, there's no such thing as a black church and a white church. Yeah, biblically, but the question is, why do we define them that way? It wasn't wasn't our idea. (laughs) It wasn't black people's idea to do that. Um, Matter of fact, um, they were worshiping together um, post-slavery. And Howard... What happened was um, blacks were praying at the altar, and they weren't allowed to. They weren't supposed to. They were separated. They were, they were worshiping in the same church, but they were separated um, by, by seating. And uh, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones were praying at the altar, and some of the white uh, leaders came and tried to get them to leave uh, the altar from praying. And they said, okay, well, we'll, 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 as soon as we're done praying, we'll leave. And they said, you got to leave now, blah, blah, blah. They physically dragged them off the altar because they weren't allowed to be there because they were black. So that's when Richard Allen decided, okay, we're done. And they went and started um, uh, a church um, in, 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 in Bethel AME Church in Philadelphia, which is still there, actually. Um, and that's how you got the black church and the white church. It wasn't our idea to do that. And it just never, over the years, it just, it just continued. And so, um, but that's not what God intended. We tried to worship with you, and you wouldn't let us. Yeah, yeah. And that's, how, that's, where, that's what happened. Good. And, and also, I think that um, many people today aren't willing to go back even a few generations ago and see, like, how did we get here? Exactly. You know, exactly, yeah. uh, what you just said happened a long time yeah, ago, but really, yeah. but that's not that long no, ago. You, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Jesus was around 2,000 years ago. That was a long time ago. But, uh, you know, slavery now, what, 400 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a long time ago, mm-hmm. but we're still feeling we're it still, yeah. today. Mm-hmm. The, the, the earthquake of slavery, we're still feeling the aftershocks yeah, and yeah. dealing with them and not dealing with them well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have to acknowledge the history, and that's, that's what's hard to do, I think, for a lot of white people in particular, to acknowledge the, the, the racial history of America. And that's hard, you know, but you cannot move forward without acknowledging the past and dealing with the past at some level. You just can't do that. You know, it's easy to just say, let's just forget about the past and move forward. It's not quite that easy. You know, if you, especially when you want to acknowledge um, what happened and how it affects today. You know, so those are some of the things that are just hard to do, but have to be done. Have to be done in order for us to move forward. And, and, and even in the church, same thing. Same thing in the church. That story I just gave, that happened in the church, in the house of God. You know, and we need to um, understand why we're so separated and divided. 11 o'clock is still the most separated time in America. They say it's still the same way, you know. And you would think a a simple reading of James would put to death (laughs) some of that, like you sit here and you sit here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So being biblical, you know, just on the surface Mm -hmm. of reading some of these epistles Mm -hmm. would would put to death all of this. All of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, If we were just biblical. 
(laughs) So in one sense, you know, the, the, the charge from the outside uh, is that the, you know, the Bible promotes slavery and promotes racism and promote when truthfully, you know, when we deal with the slavery in the Bible, it was uh, very different than the kidnapping, you know, what so-called race-based ethnic, you know, Mm -hmm. ethnic slavery of one people group and for life and for property and not treated as human beings, very different than biblical notions of slavery like Philemon Mm -hmm. and in Colossians and in Philippians. So Pete, you know, do you mind speaking a bit to that? And then Justin, I'd love to hear you speak a bit to that. The difference between the biblical slavery, because it's one argument that I think ignorant people, and I don't mean like rude ignorant, I mean just they don't understand that it's different. It's very different. And we should not equate what happened in American history with what happened in the first century and especially in the biblical uh, epistles. Yeah, so when, when you think of first century slavery, uh, Again, as Chris said, it was not ethnic-based. It wasn't based on the, the devaluing of a certain culture of people or a certain ethnicity of people, and so therefore they were the ones who were to serve the upper class or to serve a, a particular class. It was, it was often in situations of owing of debt. Um, there, were, there were instances where people would actually put themselves into acts of servitude and slavery because frankly, you, you may have had a better life. You, you would have been provided for in some way and you would have had, had regular, um, regular meals, regular care under someone who was very wealthy in that society and, and could afford to have servants and slaves. And so you, you put yourself into that um, for a period of time in order to, to benefit yourself. Um, or again, it was to pay off a debt. You, you went into that and you, you worked yourself out of that debt. And then once you were free, you, you were free. Um, but it was not this, this lifelong servitude and slavery that was just based on who you are as a person. Um, it was for very distinct, purposeful reasons. And, and it wasn't marked by what we see in um, slavery in America and in, in sections of Europe that were targeting specific people groups. Yeah, the the most fundamental flaw, you could say, of America's historic record with slavery is that it undercuts what we were just talking about, the Imago Dei. It undercuts Absolutely. that people of various ethnicities and cultural backgrounds are still made in the image of God. And it also undercuts the cultural mandate that mankind was created to have dominion over the earth and over the creatures of the earth, but not over one another. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I own you as a person is counter-biblical, yeah. and everything you get after that is just a byproduct of those um, unfortunate counter-biblical mistakes. And again, back to the, you could say, the, the complicated history of America, but also of the church with race, is that denominations did not always get that question right. Mm-hmm. Um, denominations were not always in the right position on slavery, and I think that has impacted us uh, still to this day. And it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that is um, encouraging because in many ways people are realizing that and realizing how uh, deep the wounds are, but also it's one that makes us, it could probably sober us and think, wow, like we have people who are theologians who are really sharp who got this one wrong. You got it wrong. And I, yeah. that should humble ourselves mm-hmm. to be able to say, what might I be getting wrong? Mm-hmm. And am I examining myself in light of scripture or just in light of what my culture says is okay? Because mm-hmm. we can certainly... Uh, we don't want to look down on people and think that we couldn't make that same mistake. Yeah, amen, amen. Um, also, in, in Scripture, when the Jews were enslaved in Egypt, um, 
It was basically because they were Jews. That was a racial issue. Mm-hmm. The Egyptians enslaved them because they were Jews, and that didn't turn out well for the Egyptians. Right. God did, that, did not uh, wink at that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see an example of that in Scripture, and it was not, like I said, it didn't turn out well for the Egyptians. God did not, did not uh, smile upon that. And also in 1 Timothy 1.10, it talks about our man stealing, and it, and, it, and it listed among the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So man stealing, which is what happened in American slavery, is what that's talking about, and um, and it didn't. This doesn't end well for them, according to First Timothy one ten. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it could be translated enslavers. Enslavers, exactly. Yeah, enslavers. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that that verse. First Timothy one ten is the verse that you could point to and say like, look, oh, yeah. what happened here in America and in and in Europe mm-hmm. was not biblical, and Amen. it's not the same thing it's not as same Philemon thing, yeah. and Colossians and right, yeah, these other epistles. Um, so culturally, uh, there is uh, an interesting, especially among millennials. Uh, a, a push towards justice, and they want to see reconciliation as well. And there's certainly um, a a unbiblical way to do this. And we have encountered even some of these unbiblical ways creeping into the church, um, such as, uh, you know, so-called cultural Marxism, but really critical theory um, and, and all these other uh, forms of non-biblical methodologies of achieving reconciliation, where what we want to say is, one, uh, there's one race, the human race, and so to get that right is essential. Mm-hmm. We agreed on that. Mm-hmm. And then ethnicities have to do with uh, where your country of origin is, and even in the country of origin, you know, our, our brother Philip over there is from Uganda, but there's many tribes okay. in one country. So he he he's Ugandan, but he's from the Acholi tribe. He's not listening to me right now. He's texting. <laughs> <laughs> So that also is a part of ethnicity. So we would say, you know, if you could trace your tribe back, you know, if I could trace my tribe tribe back to Ireland and Germany, there's family of origins and whatnot. Um, And then we would say that our our nationality, we are all Americans, right? Because we're not first generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. So we are nationally American. So in one sense, we are American. And in another sense, um, you know, Eddie, you and I talked about this on your interview. Jones came from a slave name, right. and you don't have that history, do you? No. I didn't think so. And, and so I can trace my family back to Ireland mm-hmm. and to Germany primarily, but I don't have, I, didn't, I never did an ancestry yeah, DNA yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. you know, because I'm afraid of Google in that sense. But <laughs> have you, either of you guys done that? Do you know, can you trace it back? I haven't done it personally. My family has. Um, so. If we're all over the place, Europe into mm-hmm. Middle East and like Israel and stuff too. So. Interesting, mm-hmm. Justin. No, we haven't done it. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so we we in one sense are nationally we're Americans together, but ethnically we come from various parts of the globe. And w- though we use the constructs of race, I've been trying to purposefully not use the constructs of race, and it's hard. It Have is, you noticed yeah. that it's hard to mm-hmm. to kind of oh, get yeah. away from that? And to talk white, black, or uh, anyone else want to add to that? It's difficult to break the norm, to break out of that construct that, that yeah. we inherited, really. Right, yeah, yeah. It is hard, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just hard because it's so embedded in us, and it's been, we've always defined ourselves that way, and so it's hard to do that. Um, and I think another important thing to point out when you're talking about ancestry and where you come from um, one of the things is, as blacks, because we, wa- we were brought over here, 
um, and, and taken from our land. Um, I have no, like you said, you can trace your, your ancestry back to Ireland or Germany. Um, I have no idea what country my people yeah. came from. Mm-hmm. You know, in Africa, I have no idea. There's many countries in Africa. It's a continent. <laughs> yeah. But I have no idea which country my, my people came from. And I don't know if Justin would know that either. But, mm-hmm. but that's one of the differences. It, it, you can find that out now through Ancestry.com. You can do that. But historically and traditionally, blacks, um, and that, that's why, that's why and this is getting to a whole other conversation, that's why identity is huge with black people, black men in particular. Mm-hmm. Identity is huge because we don't know our true identity because we've been here in America and, um, and, and got names of our slave masters. Um, that's why Malcolm X uses the, the X as his last name. He doesn't know who, he, who is, um, Malcolm Little was his name, but he put X because he doesn't want to, he doesn't know who he is. Um, and so that's huge. And that's why uh, some identity cults um, um, are huge in the black community because they give them a sense of identity, even if it's a false one. Name some identity cults for us. Uh, the Nation of Islam, the Black Hebrew Israelites, the Five Percenters. Um, they, they, they uh, I'll use the term, feed off of the lack of identity of black people. And they come in and give them a sense of identity. This is who you, even if it's a false one, like the Black Hebrew Israelites say, but we're the original Hebrews. That's our identity, that's who we are. So that will build up your ego, you know, and say, oh, you mean I'm the chosen one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that kind of, and that's like I said, that's all another conversation. But those kind of things um, are what black people have to deal with. Mm. You know, um, I, a lack of identity. Being an American is not enough. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's not mm. just enough to yeah. be an American. Yeah. So, um, but my ancestors were not American, so where are they from? So anyway, um, so that's an issue that, that has to be dealt with, uh, that black people deal with um, personally mm-hmm. in America. And it's, it's really interesting because as, as a white Man, that that's foreign thinking to yeah, me. Right, yeah. And it's okay. And black yeah, people need to admit that and acknowledge that. And that's fine. You know, yeah. it's foreign to you. Yeah. yeah it's just not, mm-hmm. the culture I grew up in was not one that made, a, made an identity marker of mm-hmm. me being white. Um, and I understand it. Like you explaining mm-hmm. that is helpful mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. like where, mm-hmm. where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. Where, is that, where is that thinking coming from? And mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it's just a foreign thing to mm-hmm. me, and I think that's that's a battle that as as a white person and white people in general need to think about is when situations like George Floyd being killed happen, and, and I'm speaking for you, and you can feel free to chime in where you can. It, it seems like the the reason it's such an impact for the black community is because there is that identity element. You you are identifying together as a group, right. where that doesn't make sense to me from how I grew up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's particularly challenging about the construct of race, we're speaking in that construct, is it takes a false marker, it's like skin color, mm-hmm. and it tries to apply characteristics to people based off that yeah, skin exactly color right. yeah. and yeah. value. Whereas for black people, that sort of kind of works because, and when I say black, I mean African-American, because that's even its own conversation. It's right. African-American yeah. versus mm-hmm. actual people who trace their history back to Africa and maybe didn't come over as a part of the slave trade. But black uh, almost functions as a, a race and an ethnicity because black people in this country have a shared history, whereas white people don't. Mm-hmm. And so we can tend to think of things and collectivize things more readily because we've had to historically look out for each other um, and, and watch out for each other. Um, as, we've, as the country has made progress with race, I think that's, that's been a little less true. But certainly, you know, if, if everyone else is, is, thinks of you less than human, then you're going to watch out for your black brother, your black sister. Whereas for white people, 
sharing the same skin color means absolutely almost nothing to most white people, right? Um, it gets a little different though when you talk to white people who are Italian and they can talk to you about their shared culture, their shared history, what it means and how good it is to be Italian or Irish or German, et cetera. And so I think that uh, conversation, that construct of race is one that we have to pick apart because it does lead to some false dichotomies. And it can maybe, in conversations about race, trip us up because we think, you know, everyone should respond or think like me when in reality our shared history is different. And that's different a lot of times according to our ethnicity and also our culture. That's good. That's real good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a scripture here. Uh, it's Ephesians 4. We, we touched on it, but I'm going to quote it. And then I want to ask a question. Uh, that's a dangerous question. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says, I therefore, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner of the Lord, it's a prisoner, prison epistle, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. That's the call to Christ, the call to the church, the call to the people of God. With all, and here's what it should look like, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So there, there should be action, as you said before. It, there's going to be some work involved here. Why, one, why do we, this is not the, the controversial question, why do we feel like we can drift or should drift into unity because it's a, it's a stated reality here in this verse? Why do we feel like we don't have to work for it? And then I'm going to follow that question up with what are some practical things we can do to work towards the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, clearly the text says we could be humble, we could be gentle, and we could be patient, and we can bear with one another in love. That's four things right there. Mm -hmm. But in addition, why do we think, one, why do we think we drift into unity? And two, practically, what types of things can we be doing? Because people want to know, like, I want unity. I don't know what to do. Like, pastors, tell me what to do. (laughs) One drifting, mm-hmm. two practical. Mm-hmm. Somebody. I think that the reason th- people think we can drift into it is because Jesus has accomplished this, so I don't need to do anything. You know, the Bible says we're we're, we're unified, so you know what? A, so why don't we just why don't we just live unified? You know, I've heard people say that. Why don't we just just preach the gospel and just live unified? Okay, well, is it that easy? Is it that simple? You know, I think people... If it was, wouldn't it be already happening? It would already be happening, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but, but so I think it's just because it's been accomplished, we don't need to do anything. But it's not like that with anything else. So, but also what you can practically do um, is speak up against injustice when you see it um, to bring about unity. If you see racial injustice, speak up against it. The Bible says um, in, in Micah 6, 8, um, to, to, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, and to do justice. It doesn't say believe in justice. You, know, you can believe in justice. I believe in justice, biblical justice. Okay, but it says do justice, act justly. You know, so you go out and, you, and that requires you know, protesting, voting, um, writing to your senators, and, and all that kind of stuff that, that will promote justice. Not rioting, right. but protesting. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, doing some, some action and not just having conversations. We always talk about having conversations. We need to have these conversations. We need to have these conversations. And that's great. But after you talk, now what? So after the conversation, do something. 
You know, we need to pray. We need to pray. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's our foundation. Pray. But after we pray, okay, now what? After you pray, go do something. Don't just, and believe your prayer. <laughs> believe what you prayed about and go and do something. You know, so uh, get involved, not just um, through prayer and, and get involved and do something to eradicate injustice wherever you see it. So that's one of the things you can do, yeah. whatever that, and you can get together and talk about some of the things you can do together um, as a church locally or otherwise as to what you can do to bring about unity as the Bible talks about. Yeah, that's good. And, and again, we're, we're talking about uh, equality, not of outcome, because mm-hmm. you, you start enforcing stuff like that and it gets deadly and bloody. We're mm-hmm. talking about opportunity, which is just, yeah, fairness, right, right, yeah. unpartiality. Exactly. So yeah. let's, let's just clear yeah, that up right good, now. Yeah. Uh, and you're, ta- you're also talking about nonviolent Yes, like yeah, protesting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Not this garbage that we saw last night, where right, forty-four yeah. people downtown were arrested for yeah, yeah, rioting, not, yeah, and causing anarchy, and lighting police right. cars yeah, on fire. Yeah, I understand. Understand. Let me just understand why they're doing that. That's no excuse because we understand why they're doing it. That's no excuse for it. But also, you have to understand the history and what led up to this. That didn't come out of a vacuum. People are not just doing that for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we condemn and we can condemn that mm-hmm. and still be understanding. Okay, I understand the logic of what's going on here, but that is not the biblical way to deal with injustice. Yeah. We don't try to get justice by doing injustice. Exactly. exactly. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Any, any of you too want to speak up on that? I think to go back to your question about maybe why we think we can drift into this, I, I do find that um, a lot of Christians that I talk to, and it's a lot, but I would say particularly uh, my white brothers and sisters, and people have self-admitted this to me, like, oh, I thought racism, like, you know, it was bad in the past, but then MLK marched, and we got the Civil Rights Act, and, like, now it's pretty much over. Um, and I've had well-intended brothers and sisters say that, and, and I think if that's our mindset, what we're doing is we're looking at it only through a lens of, uh, you could say, egregious injustice, but not through a lens of love. And so if we want to uh, drift towards, you know, we we don't drift towards love. Anybody who's married knows that. You have to work at it. Um, Anybody who has close relationships of any kind, friendships, kids, family, we have to work at it. And so one of the reasons I think we've we've thought or maybe think we can drift towards this is because we don't necessarily look at it through the lens of, am I loving my sister, my brother, my neighbor, the way Jesus would, we only look at it as um, a, a egregious injustice. I'm not a racist or I'm not a angry person who's out there rioting, which from a Christian perspective is, is not the way we should be looking at it. Uh, if I were to think of maybe what, what we can do to maintain that unity, uh, a lot of it is, is, for me, education and thinking through like, how do I really get to know my brothers and my sisters around me? How do I get to know their history? You know, we were talking about like the formation of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church. Like why, why is that something that's significant to African-Americans? Or how do I learn what's going on in my city? Um, the protests um, that were happening last night, which turned violent, unfortunately, a lot of them were antagonizing the police. But how many of us know the history or the initiatives that the current police department has in place to build bridges with the community? Because what you might find, and this is, in, this is true in cities that I've lived in, the police in certain faith communities have had a long history of working together. And if you're out 
protesting, being rude, antagonizing them, you may be doing, undoing the work of mm. someone who's worked really hard mm. to mm. build that unity. And so how can we do that in the church? Uh, I think a lot of it comes through education, just learning about each other, you know, taking someone out to lunch, but also doing your own work of mm. reading about the history of different people groups, different organizations or mm. injustices that may be happening in the city. And that in part is kind of how we started the food pantry was way back in maybe January, it was a goal of mine to try to learn more about some of the inequalities here in the city. And one of them turned out to be food deserts and people not having access to nutritional good food or just food period. And so that's kind of how we got into doing that. So I think part of the reason we can, part of the way we can maintain unity is just through education and, and taking purposeful steps to learn and not just demanding or asking people to tell us all the time, but mm. take that step and, and do it on our own, take initiative. That's good. Yeah, and I would, I would add when it comes to the idea of drifting into unity, there is a, there is a bit of an of an apathy, almost almost thinking people will just kind of drift to what my version of unity will be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That that if we want to be unified, we'll just kind of follow what I'm doing and what my preferences are and what my desires are. And so um, I'll just let them move to me, and then we'll be unified, rather than mm-hmm. there being actual genuine. Mm-hmm unity and giving up of myself and giving up of my preferences and my mm-hmm. desires to to see certain things that um, another another brother and sister in Christ would desire to see in the corporate church. Um, think specifically of music and um, not coming from a gospel background. I would I would love to see gospel music in the church. I would love to see that more. Um, and I Me think, too. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know Eddie can sing, right? Like yeah. he could be so put pressure on him. Yeah. Public pressure. Um, so, so seeing things like that, being able to to appreciate. I know we even talked um, earlier about incorporating some things with with Phillips and coming from Africa and his yeah. culture. Like, yeah. how do we incorporate some of that? that that's awesome. Like, Amen. I would Amen. love to see stuff yeah, like me that. Too. Amen. Um, and I, I think that that takes a lot where. It's going to make people feel a bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. used to this. I don't mm-hmm. like this. But if we're willing to follow Ephesians 4 and say, you know, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to mm-hmm. give up of what maybe I prefer to learn something else, mm-hmm. yeah. to be comfortable with something else. And, and through experiencing it, maybe you'll learn to actually like it. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then just very practically um, to kind of jump off of what Justin said, um, if you want to know something about somebody, take them out to lunch. Mm. Go have coffee Amen. with them. Um, go find out how these situations impact a, a police officer right now who's trying to do a good job, mm. who, right. who wants yeah. to care for and love their community. And that's the reason they got into this profession, and yet now they're, they're a target. Mm-hmm. Um, go figure out and find out how they're feeling. Find out how your, your black brothers and sisters are feeling through this and how they're... The, the pain that go, they're going through. And when you have questions, ask your questions. Um, I'm sure if I had questions for Eddie or Justin and I stepped over a line, they'd say, it's a little too much. Um, <laughs> and, and I think there's some level of intimidation. They're like, dude, what if I say something dumb? Um, I say dumb things all the time. So um, just trying to just be open and say, hey, I want to learn, teach me. Um, like Educate me on the, the gaps that I have because we're not... We're not omnipotent. We don't know all things. Yeah. It's um, the humility. Yeah, we're not omnipotent. Yeah, humility, we don't, we yeah, don't know yeah, everything yeah. out there to say, like, hey, I have exhaustive knowledge of this. Mm-hmm. And so where can I learn from my brothers and sisters? And the easiest way to do it, I mean, I'll take Eddie out for 
barbecue. He likes barbecue. Amen. Like yes. Barbecue. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. We've all heard it. We've heard it here first, <laughs> folks. It's public. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, um, can I just add one yeah, thing? Um, just to piggyback, piggyback off of what they both said, um, and and read some from some people that don't look like you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go find some books from from people who are not just dead white men from the 1700s, which is great. I'm not saying, you know, but go read some dead black guys too, you know, or some living black guys, you know, (laughs) read some. Can you make some suggestions? Yes, yes. Some Tony Evans, Oneness Embraced. Yes. Carl Ellis, um, uh, Eric Mason, Mason, um, Tabidi Anyabwile. There's a whole bunch Daniel of them. Daniel Payne. Yeah, Daniel Payne. Uh, so, yeah, read some yeah. from some other people. I read from a variety of people. I don't just read from people that look like me. Mm-hmm. I read from... Yeah. Um, but you expect that from me because I'm in America. So I'm supposed to read from mm-hmm. white people. You know what I'm saying? One thing, we have to... Um, this Black history in America is not... You, it's not required to be successful in America. You don't have to know right. my history right. in order to be successful in America. But I can't get a GED without knowing your history. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's you, a, you mean your as in like the, the presidents and the founding yeah, of the Yeah, uh, uh, white American history. Yeah, yeah. I can't succeed unless I know that. But you don't have to know a black American history at all. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's a huge difference to understand. I think people need to understand. Um, that's part of being part of a majority culture. You know, that's not necessarily racist, it's just majority culture. Yeah, yeah. You have to know how they think and their history, and that's just, that's a privilege you have. And I know that word messes people up, the word privilege, but yeah. that's a whole other podcast. But, yeah. but, um, but, that, but, but, that, but that's important to understand. That's important to understand that. Yeah. Uh, so we can, we can get into some of the controversial stuff now, mm-hmm. if it hasn't already been so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there can are... Can I jump in real quick? Please. Small aside, because the dynamic you mentioned about a majority culture also applies to us as Americans. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to add to the list of things to read would also be non-Americans. Yeah, amen. And, and good, good point. Thank churches you. Yeah, that are not yeah. living in, in a nation yeah. that was founded mm-hmm. like ours because we, we, there's a ton of wisdom in that. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, that's helpful, man. I agree. Mm-hmm. And you just read a book on prosperity gospel that had some Africans right. that African, you said yeah. was very Yeah, helpful. it was great. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Prime example. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. So... Um, you mentioned privilege, and that word does just fire people up. You know, they heard that, and they straightened up, and their mm-hmm. brows furrowed. Um, so, as a whole, white privilege, black privilege, you know, there's certainly a version of black privilege out there that uh, that we could talk about, too. Um, books have been written called Black Privilege. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so messed up a whole lot of black people, but go ahead. <laughs> we could talk, I said we can get controversial for Wait, a second. What did here. he just say? Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so some of those, if we want to call them constructs or systems, mm-hmm. uh, have been created out of non-biblical places, mm-hmm. like, like Marxism and its outward, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. tentacles that have branched off like a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we would want to say is there, if you're, if you're nuanced about it, there certainly are times where it privileges you to be white and there are sometimes it privileges you to be black. And if we're, if we're talking not in the general like mm-hmm. Marxist category, I would say that's helpful mm-hmm. to, to be very specific. You know, and you just mentioned a specific mm-hmm. example, which is why I think it's, it's helpful. As, as a whole... 
I think there's a lot of contradictory that goes into these constructs and categories when you just paint it broadly. Would you guys agree with that? Would you not agree with that? Um, so we're getting into some of the critical theory stuff. Mm-hmm. We're getting into, you know, every white person is privileged and mm-hmm. every black person is unprivileged. But then mm-hmm. in response to that, there's black privilege. Like we get to make fun of majority culture, but you can't make fun of us. We get to use <laughs> words that are derogatory towards each other. But if you say it, I'm going mm-hmm. to get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, right, that's what they would mm-hmm. say yeah, black yeah. privilege is. Mm-hmm. So there's all that stuff that's controversial that people really get upset about. So here's an example. Uh, one of the black privilege things would be, and I saw this happen at Monroeville Mall, we were, we were coming down the escalator and there was a big display and sign, and I don't know what the program was. Mm-hmm. It said Black Excellence, mm-hmm. and and there was a, they were promoting Black Excellence. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was academic or what it was, mm-hmm. but there was a, a lot of uh, African Americans, you know, black. I hate that category, but mm-hmm. we'll just say black people if if we're going to be uh, racist here, <laughs> using the categories racist, yeah, yeah. Uh, are surrounding the table. And I saw I was just looking, just watching, and I saw white people like looking at the sign and being like, "Man, if I did that." If it said white excellence, mm-hmm. I, would, I would get thrown out of here faster. And, and so that, mm-hmm. but that would be considered black privilege, mm-hmm. right? Am I wrong? No, I hear you. I, okay. I make, yeah. Go ahead. So, so can we talk real quick? Yeah, Here's ahead, what ahead, I'd ahead, like to ahead. talk about. Just freely, openly feel free to rebuke each other because <laughs> we, are, we are unified here and we're trying to promote unity, mm-hmm. not promote disunity. And we can talk about, in some ways, how is this disunifying? Mm-hmm. How is this not helpful? Mm-hmm. So in, in very specific instances, we would want to say, yes, white privilege exists. And I can give some examples, some very sad examples. Um, and then we would want to say, if we're very specific, there are some, if we're talking in, hey, if I did that, I'd be in trouble as a white person. Um, so can we talk about that? In, in specific categories, these constructs are helpful, but then broadly, they're unhelpful. I think the, the question you raise is interesting because it actually takes us back to the idea of race and how that's a false construct and how if we use that construct exclusively, we'll get tripped up. So uh, if we try to make direct comparisons between black and white categorically, I think we'll run into some errors because black privilege... Or, or black excellence, the term you saw them all, um, it, it seems to be a broad reference to African-American people. And uh, again, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, varying degrees in which Africans are included in that category of black. And I think that, that varies by the person you might talk to. But black is referring to a group that almost functions as its own ethnicity because we can't trace our history back. Mm-hmm. Whereas the term white excellence may be offensive because it seems to continue the false idea that people with light skin have a shared superiority, whereas there's Irish, Italian, German, Swedish. Um, and I do see a lot of Irish pride, which is good. I, I support that. Like St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. Irish pride, Italian pride, I think is a more healthy way to engage that. But um, that's why categories or ideas like privilege have to be explained and teased out yeah. mm-hmm. and used not as a worldview. Mm-hmm. Because if mm-hmm. narratives about privilege are my worldview, mm-hmm. those, those narratives, be they, or, or those categories, be they the idea of race, the idea of white privilege, or the idea of privilege, all have their own historical flaws to them because they were created by men. Mm-hmm. And so when you use those categories or terms, we just have to be so careful because there are just inherent mm-hmm. flaws in the thinking. Mm-hmm. And they are contradictory, for sure. Like we just talked about privilege and reading other authors and how it's important to read 
you know, African Americans, but then we could also take another step back and say, well, as Americans, which we all are, mm-hmm. we should read internationally right. because there's mm-hmm. a degree of privilege there too, where right. we have experienced things being in this country that other believers haven't. So I think we have to be just, just careful as we engage those broad man-made yeah. terms. That's right. helpful. I agree. Yeah. Eddie, Pete. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just mention that um, when we think about the, the negative elements of what critical theory, critical race theory, intersectionality have brought into society, um, I, I think you do see some of the some of the the response what what's really being drawn out of that as philosophies and as tools or as worldview perspectives to say well now as a as a white man um because of these worldviews like i i shouldn't have a voice anymore right mm. um mm. and and i don't think that's helpful i don't think that's biblical i don't think that's right i think that is completely wrong um but at the same time, I, I, I think I can reflect on the fact that as, as a white person in America, I, I do have an element of privilege in the fact that I, I don't have to be concerned about a police officer pulling up behind me the way that Justin might, the way that another black, another black man might. Like, I, don't, I don't have to wonder, like, it doesn't cross my mind or think, like, is this going to be something bigger than it is just because of the color of my skin? I, I do think there's, a, there's an element of privilege there that I don't have to think that way. Um, I, I don't have to be walking down the street in a predominantly white neighborhood and be concerned that somebody's going to come down the street in a pickup truck with a shotgun and question why I'm in their neighborhood. Like, I don't have to worry about that. Um, and so there, there's an element of privilege that I think is found in that. And I don't think that makes me woke. I don't think that makes me like following critical theory or critical race theory or any of these things. It's just an acknowledgement of mm-hmm. I, I've been placed in a position in this country where there's, there's things that I don't have to deal with simply because of the way I look. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person and I need to have my voice cut off from society. Right. Amen. Um, that just means I have, to, I have to be able to acknowledge that and what the, the negative components of that mean for um, my brothers that look like this, mm-hmm. that they don't have that same level of, of privilege that I do and acknowledge that and say, okay, how, how can I work with, with you and work within the church and work within society to make sure that those things don't take away opportunity for men who don't look like me, mm. for people who don't look like me. So mm. real quick, that would be the equality that we're shooting for, yeah. right? Right. right. So, did you want to say something, Justin? No, Eddie? I'm just saying right. Okay, go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to say, as far as the, the whole black excellence thing you saw at the mall, I think one of the things, sometimes um, what we've done as a people to build ourselves up is we created our own space, quote unquote, um, and, um, and black excellence is a goal that we have as a people. The black, and that's probably what that was about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, black excellence. And uh, it had nothing to do with, um, you know, white excellence. Or it was just, I have a shirt that says, I am black excellence. You know, no, that's not true. I'm not excellent at all. But I just like the shirt. <laughs> I have that same shirt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's going for basketball. 
<laughs> so here's what I'm saying, though. I have heard so many times in in my trying to mm-hmm. push the ball forward. Mm-hmm. Well, how if I did that? No, and I, I was going. Yeah, 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 yeah. The same thing. Whether it's um um. um BET, Black Entertainment Television, they have their own television station, or Black History Month, let's right. say. You Why do you have a Black History Month? If I, I can't have a White History Month. Well, you do. It's called January through December, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, Black History Month is just created to talk about some of the accomplishments of black people throughout history that we don't normally hear about. That's all that we don't hear about in school, you know. So that's what that's about. And it's not about, you know. So we need those kind of spaces that, you know, even with um, the Miss America pageant, there's a Miss Black America. Well, because for years, there weren't any white, black women in the Miss America pageant. You mean out of 50 states you couldn't find a black woman to be in the pageant? And, you know, so things like that, you know. Um, so that's why those kind of spaces were created. And it wasn't like we're trying to be um, separative or anything like that. White people don't need that kind of stuff. That's the point. White people didn't need uh, their own television station. You got it. ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, CNN. You don't need a black and a white entertainment television yeah. station. You know what I'm saying? You and, know. and we're talking more historically, historically than, than yeah. right yeah, now. Things have today. changed over the years. Yeah. They have. There's a lot, lot more black people on television now than it was when I was growing up. Right. When I was growing up, it was exciting to see black people on television. Right. <laughs> because a lot of times it was, it was a rarity. You know, so obviously that has changed over the years. So, yeah. yeah. Are the, if I, I'm trying to maybe understand what you're saying more deeply, when you hear people saying, if I did that, is that um, I as a white person did that? Yeah, I, that, well, that's something that I've seen yeah. black people doing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so I won't name a name because I've yeah, heard that too. I've, I've heard, heard that too, but I'm just yeah. trying to understand. Yeah, yeah. So I won't, I won't name a name, but I heard, I, I, you know, being in the hip hop community, I listen in and I've heard that. Uh, you know, the, the quote I can remember is, it's okay for the oppressed to make fun of the oppressor, mm-hmm. but the oppressor cannot and must not mm-hmm. make fun of the oppressed. And that's assuming that there's still mm-hmm. wholesale white oppression mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all black people. Mm-hmm. But that, that's what I meant by, by kind of black privilege, that yeah. whole thing. But how that might play out is, um, you know, the specific example that was used was the Marlin Brothers can, can make a movie like White Girls, but don't let Rob, chicks, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. Yeah. play the black man in Jungle <laughs> Fever. Like, that cannot happen. <laughs> I'm serious. He was in, that was uh, That's a real, no, Jungle Fever Tropic was, uh, Thunder. Tropic Thunder, thank yeah. you. Oh, I was going to yeah. say Jungle yeah. Fever. That was a different yeah, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah. I got my, I got my, my <laughs> movies mixed up. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Tropic Thunder, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so he played yeah. blackface, right? Yeah. But you can't do that. That's the, that's the argument. Okay. Oh, that's the argument. That's the oh, argument. Because he did do that. He did do that. But you can't do that. You can't do that. So in the same way, I think... A lot, a lot of white people have said to me, um, when they see black this, black that, mm-hmm. then they imagine, if I put white this, white that, I would get crucified. Right. How, do, how can they get away with that? And, I'm, and all I'm trying to make an illustration yeah. of, yes, there is specific instances of white privilege that mm-hmm. Pete, and I think that it's been promoted, this is black privilege, and we mm-hmm. get this. Mm-hmm. Yes, no? It's been promoted. It's okay. And it's not hypocritical because this is black privilege where I think a lot of white people just imagine they automatically put themselves in that situation and then they imagine how it would play out for them. Okay. So for example, if there was, and I get, I love what you said, and this is why I'm bringing it up so yeah. we can try to understand. Yeah. I've heard this more than once. So this isn't, this is over and over yeah. and over again. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I said that on Facebook and inserted white where it says black, mm-hmm. I would get crucified. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by trying to help people understand yeah. where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved your, your example of black excellence. Mm-hmm. And, and what I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is black historically was 
degraded. Exactly. And it was mm-hmm. you're lesser than. Right. And right. so in an effort mm-hmm. to try to boost that and, mm-hmm. and combat that, mm-hmm. we've done something like right. Black yeah. Excellence. That's what's the, that's what I meant by we have to create our own space, our own things right. for that. Give ourselves awards for that because we weren't getting them from the white community. Right. And that's a real, yeah. you that's can look back at history and yeah. be like, that exactly. was yeah. the real deal. That, right. That's yeah. not something you made up. Right. So all I'm trying to do right now in this conversation is, is help people understand where like black excellence comes from or where like you mentioned black history month or where BET comes from or where, mm-hmm. you know, black pride comes from. Like, right. you know, someone sees a, a, you know, I am black and proud and they imagine like, I wore a white and proud shirt. Oh my gosh. I would yeah. get shot. Right. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all I mean. No, by I know. That I, is, I think I knew, I understood what you were coming from, but one of the things, and this is a historical fact that I think will help, um, too. um, because back in the day with, with, on television with blacks, blacks were always seen in a certain light. Sure. You know, um, even with families like Good Times, um, there was a father. A lot of times they weren't a father in the home, but there was a father there. But they were poor. You know, they were always struggling. You know, um, there was always those kind of situations. The black guy was always the criminal. You know, those kind of things. Um, and then the Jefferson showed up. You know, moving on up yep. to the east side. You know, um, yeah. yeah. Um, the reason that show was created because Norman Lear, who created all those shows, um, uh, was, was approached by the Black Panthers and, and was asked, why is it that all the black characters uh, look like this? Why is it they're always poor, they're always struggling, they're not, you know, why, do we, why can't we have a show where a black man is successful, the black family is successful? And so he created the Jeffersons out of that. But the only reason he did that was because he had a conversation with some black men. You know, that, that says something you know, about why we need to talk, you know, because um, the Jeffersons were the first black family on, on television that was successful upper middle class. It wasn't the Cosbys. It was the Jeffersons, you know, who came before the Cosbys. But those, that's an example of what can happen when you talk and when you uh, um, uh, address and approach um, white power, quote unquote, for lack of a better term. Norman Lear was the dude. Yeah, yeah, he had, he yeah. had all the hit shows on television. Yeah. They addressed him. Okay, let's talk. You're like the gatekeeper. Yeah. And you yeah. get to control what happens and what doesn't happen. Right. And you can do this for this community. So that's the power you're speaking right. of. And it's exactly. a real thing. Yeah. And, that needs, and that still needs to happen. We can still do that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We still need to do that. You well, know. Yeah. And, and we could get into this and we will on another podcast, but the Black Panther recently, you know, in 2018 yeah, movie, yeah. came uh-huh. out yeah. and that was so highly praised, but it was one of Marvel's yes. best Biggest, yeah, you know, movies selling of all time, movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I've talked to several of my friends who are black and they're like we needed a positive role model as a superhero Amen. and mm-hmm. and so like that's what you're that's what you're saying that's what I'm there saying. are yes, yes, power yes. brokers out there mm-hmm. and they're the gatekeepers of what gets made and what doesn't right, get yeah. made and it benefits if if the character is truly a hero mm-hmm. uh it benefits not only the black community but it also benefits everybody. the white yeah community. it exactly. benefits everybody exactly yeah 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 and, and is it fair to say that when when you see things like BET or or black award shows or things like that that it's it's not saying we hate white people no no, no. I mean it's just no. it's just acknowledging just acknowledging yeah yeah, that yeah this this there are cultural differences exactly and, yeah and so I like Chris I, I I get where you're coming from and I think there's a there's an element where society wants to say well if I if I put white in there it would be a big deal. Um, and you see that, I don't think that's a, a biblical construct because I don't think having a black excellence means we're trying to put down white people. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I, that, 
and I, and I know not everybody's there. I know there's people mm-hmm. who would think like, no, by by exalting one, it means you're pushing down another. But I don't think that's necessarily yeah, yeah. the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. I right. Don't think yeah, it yeah, has yeah, to yeah, be that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, even if people want that to be the case. Right. And I don't think white people understand that they don't need to do that. And I think that's the important yeah. key to understand yeah. why we need to do that. Why we felt the need to do that. Those kind of things. Why you don't need to do that. You don't need to put white in front of anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but. That's tease it out a little bit more because this is really helpful. I, I'm telling you, I've tried to have these conversations mm-hmm. many times, and I always get hit with this. Yeah. It's so hypocritical, mm-hmm. you know. And if you could help in this, okay, we don't need to. If, let's take the, the uh, BET, the Black Entertainment Television, for example. Um, there were shows on there that would have never gotten on regular national television. Right. They would never just show certain things on national television. They wouldn't have done that, you know, um, because of the white power structure who didn't want to see that or anything would be successful or for whatever reason. So somebody came up with an idea, let's start our own television station called a black entertainment television and show, and show the stuff that we would like to see ourselves. That's an example. Same thing with the, with the Miss Black America pageant. There weren't any black women in the Miss America pageant. So, okay, let's create our own pageant. We are beautiful people as well. Let's create a pageant where our black women are, 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 are seen as beautiful. And, and so... And white people don't need to do that. They didn't need to. So th- that makes sense? Am I? Yeah. Okay. So that, that was, that's, that's why those kind of things were happening. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I too, sorry, Justin. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll turn it to you in a second. Um, those, the way you put it, Eddie, like the white power structures that were in place, they're not following biblical principles. No, to, no they're not. No. To set no. forward, yeah. like, hey, let's be unified people. Mm-hmm. They're they have their own agendas and their own desires, and that's what drove them to mm-hmm. act and be the way that they were. And, and what's interesting is even in society now where it, it is more socially acceptable to have um, black-specific television shows and mm-hmm. things that speak to these things, now the networks are all about it. They want to right. have every yeah. intersectional right. category because <laughs> they're getting paid. They yeah. Right? Yeah. Makes some money. It makes some money. Exactly. exactly. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I have no reason to defend the the white television people back in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies who put together right. television programs the way that they did. Like, there's there's no reason to defend that. And so, it it makes total sense to me, mm-hmm. Eddie, the way you're describing it that. The black community would want to do that, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah. you're you're dealing with people who who aren't seeking to be unified. They're not seeking to right. They're not seeking that. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. They're they're yeah. just seeking yeah. their their wallets yeah. essentially. Yeah. Sorry, Justin. Go no, ahead. it's good because I, I wanted to reiterate the point you made, which I think is important, uh, which is that this is not a zero sum game. Mm. Meaning, if someone does something to lift the dignity of their people according to biblical definitions and categories, which we've talked about the idea of race, black people, because we can't trace our history, use that term almost colloquially, whereas white is a bit of a different category um, that was used to put a supremacy amongst people who had lighter skin color. Um, we, we don't necessarily think that that's, we wouldn't necessarily say that that's unbiblical to do things that affirm the dignity of a certain ethnic group. Um, and, uh, and I think biblically, we could point to Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, he could have just said this, I'm going to tell you a parable about a good person. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. the Pharisees That's ask good. him, what does yeah. it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Mm-hmm. He takes this people group who are oppressed, who are seen as less than, and he says, I'm going to tell you a parable about a good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it challenges the norms yes, of the day. Yes. Yeah. And it uplifts mm-hmm. the dignity of the people who were seen as oppressed. And it's ultimately done to show, uh, obviously, 
we believe in the deity of Christ. So Jesus wasn't sinning and Jesus wasn't saying that to put down the Pharisees or to right, put down exactly, the Jews, yeah. but he was saying it to uplift the identity of the people who are seen as less than. And I think within the body of Christ, what would help us a lot around a conversation like this, because it is, there is a sense in which some people who are black may be using that term in an idolatrous way. Oh, yeah. But there's also more black people, and this is my personal experience, who are using that term to uplift and put inherent worth and dignity within black people. And what I think would help us a ton in the body of Christ is the idea of charity. Mm-hmm. Like, if I hear the term black excellence, I don't automatically jump to this person's an idolater and they're in a black mm-hmm. identity cult. Amen. Amen. If you see evidence of that, and if we, you know, if you talk to someone and they're like, yeah, I think black people are superior, then sure, have the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think if we believed the best about each other, and like Pete said, like sat down and listened to each other, we may find that the things that we're so angry about seemingly being unfair aren't always occurring. Mm-hmm. So going, it's, 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 <laughs> but it's, I think, again, this is where we think in terms of not just justice, but love within, within the church. Like, how do we sit down and hear each other out as opposed to jumping to the conclusions that, and a lot of times it's like, you can kind of hear, you can tell what news station they're listening to by the things they're bringing up. Because these are narratives, like Pete said in the beginning, the world and the media wants us to be divided. So you're always being told like, you know, like Satan, or something satanic whispering in your ear, like, yeah, black people are doing that because they don't like you. Mm. You could never do that. Mm. That, to me, doesn't sound like charity. That sounds like someone trying to create rivalry and bitterness. And like James says, what causes fights and quarrels among us is pride. Like, you know, that, that, and I'm, I'm all for what Pete said. Like, if we have genuine questions for each other, let's ask it and let's find out. Like, yeah, what do you mean by that? Why, why is that important to you? And if there's sin there, let's deal with it. But if we jump automatically to, I can't do that. And I've heard that too. Like I've been in those conversations and it's unfortunate because it's not a posture of listening or seeking to understand. A lot of times it's accusatory. And it's, it's a difficult conversation to have with someone who's already made up in their mind that you've betrayed or have done something antagonistic towards them when maybe that's not always the case. And, and I like how you put that and be thinking about the idea of charity and love, it, it doesn't think the worst of people. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, so when, when someone posts that thing on social media that is pro, pro-black, that doesn't mean that they, they are doing that to spite all white people or to, to spite a demographic of white people. Um, and, in, and so it, especially in the church where we're called to love one another, um, more so than we even love those outside of the church. I think do good to all, especially, especially to those of the household. Yeah. Like, Amen. Like Amen. we should have greater, yes, a, a greater tolerance to say like, I'm, no, I'm going to think best of this person, mm, even yeah. if they're even if they're liking something on social media or posting something on social media I disagree with. I'm going to think the best of them, and. And where there needs to be clarification, I'll talk to them. And I'll talk to them with grace and I'll talk to them with love. Right. And, and not all of a sudden have your guard up because somebody liked something on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, think the best of each other. And I, think, and I think that would go a long way towards um, bringing unity and, and living out how Justin's described how we ought to live. And I think this, this, uh, this definitely applies to 
minorities as well, black people, but other minorities, because while I, I don't, and I agree with you, like I don't see a lot of people championing the idea of white excellence. And I think we could probably agree why that's maybe a faulty idea to begin with. But I do see a lot of white people championing, like being proud to be American. Mm-hmm. And as a black person, if I think the worst of that, I, I could think like, yeah, they're doing that because they want to like spite black people mm-hmm. or they're proud of America's slavery history or they think America's mm-hmm. better than other nations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is the case, but sometimes it's not. And yeah, I think yeah, like Pete yeah, said, yeah. like minorities, black people, like we, we have to at the same time extend charity, have conversations with people and where there's faulty ideology or sin, we can correct it. But where there's not, I, I think it is important that, that that idea of like being charitable is not just one way. It, it goes both ways. And I think Eddie and, you know, we could attest, like, we have to do it too. It's not just something Oh, yeah, that, definitely, yeah. It's definitely. not just white people thinking the best of black people. It's us th- as in the body of Christ thinking the best of each other, and Amen. that would include us. Amen. As Amen. minorities thinking the best of white people. Yeah, definitely, I agree. That's I agree. helpful, yeah. Yeah, so one, one thing that I think we could draw out of all that's been said is, to, to show love in the First Corinthians 13 sense would be love, you know, believes all things. It doesn't, you know, keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't assume the worst immediately. Yeah. It doesn't snap yeah. judgment yeah. and say, oh, you, you know, rather, if there is an issue, though, what do you think would be best to do? I, I think have a conversation with the person. Yeah. I think like, hey, I saw this. <laughs> What did you mean by this? Give me some clarity here. Any other suggestions? As a pastor, are you championing that so people don't call you all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. No. No, no, but really, I, I think that we, especially in the age of social media, where people are willing to throw some stuff on there where it's like, I don't know if you should have said that. Um, you, you should, if you're offended by something someone posts and they're supposed to be your brother or sister in Christ, the best thing to do is, is call them or say, hey, can I buy you some pizza or yep. coffee or whatever, some ribs, you know, whatever, let's talk and bring it up. And, and that's really hard to do. Would you guys agree with that? It's much easier to call everybody else and be like, yo, did you see? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would add to have a conversation with them and be praying beforehand yeah. and during. Yeah. Yeah. Check your heart through the whole thing. Like, yep. where, why are you offended by this? Why right, are you yeah, upset yeah, about this? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and be open to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Don't be don't be so closed off that you're going to a conversation thinking, "Well, I'm just going to fix what they have said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to correct them in a way." Um, be be open to what they have to say and be praying fervently that grace would mark the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Anything you guys want to add? The movie uh, Inside Out. It's about emotions. It's a Disney Pixar movie. It's really good. One of the lines that stuck with me from that movie is there. It's I forget where they're like coming out of a scene, and it's a transitional line they use to kind of just maybe drop on you. But someone spills a, a it, and these represent emotions. Someone spills a bag of blocks, and the blocks say facts and opinions. And the girl is like, "Oh, facts and opinions. We get those mixed up all the time." And it's kind of a <laughs> I guess a joke, but also something that's pretty, I, I thought pretty poignant, mm-hmm. which is like, mm-hmm. we do, we get our facts and oh, opinions yeah, mixed up all the yeah, time. Yeah. And I think in light of Romans 14, which is probably its own, you know, podcast on liberty, there are things that are like biblical factual sin that no believers can do. And there are things that are just opinions. Mm-hmm. And there are things that are, I think you said in a, a conversation we had a while ago, there are differing methodologies in how we can pr- pursue unity, pursue justice. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be okay with People, it, it may look different for other people than it would look for me. Mm. And so if I see something that's on Facebook, 
I can check my heart and I can be praying, but I can also be asking like, is this, is this a sin issue or is this a methodology issue mm-hmm. where I just don't agree with how they're going about it? And we can still have conversations about methodology, what's wise, what's not wise, what, what will and won't work. But I think if we have that sorted out in our head beforehand, what is, what, what is a biblical factual sin versus what is my opinion on a matter? Mm-hmm. I think that would make those conversations go a lot smoother because a lot of times we, we take all our opinions and we put them on that side and that... Yeah, we yeah. want our opinion to be fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we try to make it fact, you know, yeah. yeah. And a lot of times we are just speaking out of opinion, and, and we do sound like it's truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have conversations with people, and they say, this is definitely the... I'm like, it's not, is, that, is that definitely true, or is that just your opinion? Right. But, and we can do that, with this, whether it's an individual or a group of people. You know, we can talk in, in general terms, like, well, white people are this, that, and the other. Do you mean all white people or a certain group of white people? Because we don't usually don't make a distinction. We just say white people or black people. And and what do you mean? You mean all the white people? You mean the white power structure or every white person in America? Right. <laughs> you know. And I think that's important to make that distinction. You know. So, um, but we normally talk in generality, um, as if we're talking about a whole group of people or um, whatever the case may be. And that's not that's not wise. No, you know. Um, and we do need to, to to make a distinction. Yeah. And I you think. reminded yeah. me that's happening right now, sadly, with police. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people are grouping all police together mm-hmm. and making them out to be the ones. Every single yeah. cop mm-hmm. kneeled on George mm-hmm. Floyd's right, neck. Yeah. Right. That's just yeah. not the case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is many police officers out there who mm-hmm. actually do want to serve and protect, mm-hmm. and they do serve African-American communities. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we would say about that, uh, and, I, and you guys can speak after this. I would love to hear your, your thoughts. Um, there are certain police officers who are racist, mm-hmm. no doubt, right. and, and they do unjust things. But does that now mean all police officers are racist and, and want to do mm-hmm. actions in accordance with that right. ideology? No, it doesn't mean that. Right. So we should be careful, you know, mm-hmm. broad, broadening. Mm-hmm. We should be more nuanced. Mm-hmm. We should be less broad, yeah. more nuanced. And, and it's easy to throw out a negative statement about uh, any ethnicity, Black people, mm-hmm. this, and it's like, wait, all mm-hmm. uh, white people, uh, all mm-hmm. police, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. you know, and and so I think grouping people is not helpful. <laughs> no, <laughs> personally, and I, and I think, um, and I, I I agree with you, and I think one of the reasons black people, some black people, um, may do that is because the good white cops don't often speak out against the bad white cops. Like when we see this um, situation, you know, they don't say anything because of the police code, code, quote unquote, or whatever that may be. And so um, it appears that all of them are in cahoots together and they're all, you know, they know that's wrong, but they won't say anything, you know, so they're, whether even, even if it's a black cop, you know. And so they say, well, all these cops are in cahoots together, even though all of them didn't do it. Mm-hmm. If you silence, if you don't say anything, you're just as guilty, you know. So I don't like, I don't like all cops because I think they're all working together against us. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying that's right, yeah, yeah. but um, but you, you can do that's that. That's a common theme that you've heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, there's a system of injustice among the cops, and like I said, they have this code amongst each other: white cops and black cops. And and and, and they really got an issue with the black cops who are there. You know, you you're, you're more concerned about this code than you are your own people. You know, because you won't say anything. You know, or, or so those are kind of so that's why you might get that the generality that all cops are bad and um, 
if you don't say anything, then you're part of the problem, you know. And I get that, and, I, and that, is, that is true, to a degree. That is true. If you don't say anything, you're part of the problem. Silence is dangerous. You know, a, a quote that Martin Luther King says, we won't remember the, the, um, the loudness of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. You know, when you're silent on injustice, you know, and you're supposed to be the defender of justice, you know, that's an issue. And that's a whole other thing, too, but, yeah. So that, but like I said, it's still wrong. But I get, but I, but but just to kind of give you a context of of what why that may be some people's logic and thinking. Yeah, we were we were actually just discussing this before I left the house. Um, what often I find is that the people who make those broad statements, and we'll take police as an example. Um, oftentimes, those come from the news media, right, or they come from mm-hmm. journalists or outlets, and it's hard because it's you can't you can't even effectively describe policing because there is no like national pope of police, someone who like controls everything police do. So you have to, you almost have to look at it department by department. Right. And Mm -hmm. yes, there are departments like I'm from the St. Louis area when they did the investigation to the Ferguson St. Police Department, like it was, it was bad. You could say that that department, you know, was was to the core pretty bad, but there are also police, you know, departments that are great Mm -hmm. that have built long standing relationships with the community. Mm -hmm. And so the people who are making a lot of times, and it is, it's, it's a, it's an opinion that, that is sometimes thrown out there that, you know, the institution's rotten or it's bad or it's, you know, the people that make those antagonistic statements oftentimes don't have to deal with the consequences of the things they say Mm -hmm. because they're not the ones who are being pulled over. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we just saw with the, with the rioters is the people who were doing the worst things weren't actually a lot of times black people. It was people who were just out there to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. And if you're the person who really wants justice, you probably don't want to antagonize that relationship any further. So, I think, again, we have to think in terms of not just what the media may be saying about someone, but allow people the dignity of being made in the image of God mm-hmm. and having inherent dignity of worth. And at the very least, that would mean for a police officer, like, I should get to know that person before I just take this media narrative that doesn't apply to every department in the country, may or may not apply to a specific department, but even within that department, that's still an individual. And I should try to get to know that person, hear their story, and hear them out before I say that that person fits this narrative that I've been told. Pete, you want to add anything to that? Uh, not specifically. I think, I think Eddie and Justin handled that well. I'm just wondering, and I don't have a fully like, formulated conclusion at this point, but there, there's an element where the police are the face of law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and oftentimes in our history in America, laws have been made to specifically target black people mm-hmm. and, and treat them well, yeah. differently. Mm-hmm. And so, a, a consequence of that is the the police who've had to enforce these laws, and in some cases complicit with it, um, and were advocates for those laws, um, have have become the target of it, right? Rather than the the components of who's making the laws and the systems and structures that are putting those things in place. And so it, it's, it almost feels like police officers, in a sense, are, because they're the face of it, they're, they're the easy target to look at and mm. say there's a problem okay. here. Yeah. Um, when I think the problem is much deeper mm-hmm. than yeah. that and, and needs to be addressed at a much deeper level. It's Genesis 3. Yeah. Everything, yeah. thorns, thistles, everything's corrupted because yep, of sin. Exactly. Yeah. It's good. It's helpful. 
Um, so we can we can do a part two. We have yeah, a lot more to cover. Yeah, there's a nine thirty. There's a lot here. Let's 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 do a part two, and let's close with some positive um, next steps here. Um, what I'm hope so so what can we do in light of all that has happened? I mean, this is still fresh. This is still raw. I understand that probably the news is going to move on to something else because it's 24 hours and it's yeah. it's ratings driven. And so the next big thing is probably yeah. going to be tomorrow. Yeah. But we want to, to <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> well, we want to try to promote unity. We're not having this discussion right now to further divide or to further say, well, you believe this and I believe this. And what we're trying to do is unify peoples here. And we're trying to, as pastors, say, what can we do to help unify a local congregation who is grieving and maybe seeing the situation in different ways? Um, Although almost everybody I've talked to has had the same exact view of this. I I haven't talked to really anyone so far Mm -hmm. who's like, I don't see a problem. Like I've not yeah, talked I've to anyone. Known. I haven't heard anybody say that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what can we do? What can we advise to do? To um, you know, Eddie, you showed me a text that you had from a former church uh, person who went to another city, and they just they texted you and they said, "Hey, man, how you doing? Like, I feel so bad about what has happened. I can't imagine how you personally are processing this. How are you? Things like that. That's positive. That's yes, helpful. Yes, yes, what What can be done like that? Things that could be done to to help to help lament, to help grieve, to not uh, assume, uh, but also not be so afraid to do something that would be accused as insensitive or or, or racist, maybe. What can people do to show love and to reach out? Like, I, I'm personally grieving too, man. Like, I have not, I have not had a good time since Tuesday when I first saw the video. Like, it's, it's messed me up since then. Even today, I was walking around like feeling like a, like a wet sweater is on me. So it's not like the, the black community is grieving and the white community is ready to, to move on. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I know I'm certainly grieving alongside everybody. Like, I'm in it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what can people do like what was done with the text and saying, I can't imagine how you're feeling. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that was so encouraging. Um, the text I got from him, he just basically just acknowledged, he said, I'm sorry that you live in a different world than I do as a white man. You know, um, that meant a lot. You know, I got another um, Facebook message from another white friend who said along the same lines, pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, but those are kind of things that can that can help, you know, just encourage somebody. Just, just call one of your black friends and just say, let's talk, you know, let's go out to lunch and Let's have a conversation. Tell me how you feel. You know, what can I do to help? Um, those are, you can start right there. You know, um, you can, you can uh, get in touch with your local officials. Actually, I think there's a number you can call or text um, in support of George Floyd um, to make sure that justice is served. And I don't have that offhand, but um, you can look into that. Uh, what can I do to encourage George Floyd's family? you know, um, and to make sure justice is served there. So I think we can start there just by um, uh, communicating with somebody um, about the whole thing and just, just on an emotional level, mm-hmm. just on an emotional level. I think we can start there. In, in addition to that, I would say don't, don't presume you can fix all the world's problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and and carry around that thought that you can do that. And so um, 
we're we're a piece of things, and we can do a lot of things that he said to to help move forward and address injustices. Um, but we are not the Savior, Jesus is. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And and we await His return when He will right all wrongs. And and we can we can do what we can now to make this as heaven like as possible. Um, but recognize where our true hope lies, and our true hope lies not in fixing society, but in Jesus who does fix society and does fix and right all things. Um, and in addition, selfishly, um, contact and encourage your pastors who, uh, <laughs> who, who are dealing with a lot of hurting people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it has not been an easy last 72 hours or so plus um, I think probably for any of us on varying levels mm-hmm. um, but even just pastorally just trying to help grieving people in a variety of ways is it can be emotionally draining it can be physically draining and um, so yeah pray for and encourage your pastors when you can that's good. amen that's good yeah. I think the uh, sharing with uh with Rachel before I left, we were, she was saying that a number of people have confirmed this now that perhaps the reason that so many people have maybe a unified approach to like, wow, this is really hard and this is wrong. And I'm talking about what happened to George Floyd is because we've all been at home for so long and we can't like get busy per se. Like there's no like, Oh, I got to go, you know, go to the, you know, go to the gym or go get my haircut. Cause all that stuff's a lot of stuff still closed. So perhaps because we've had to sit with this, um, it's hit us a little bit deeper. And I would just encourage us to, to continue to do that and to read some of the passages of lament Habakkuk, like Eddie right before the, the, uh, the message today. And to realize that like this little tiny part of me, that's like sees how wrong this is. That's a lot of the old Testament is people like seeing the wrongness of the world and be like, man, someone's got to come and make this right. And we can sit in that place of lament. I I would encourage us not to rush through it. Um, A lot of times people, you know, want to get into solutions and like, how can we make this better? And it's kind of like the Disney movie, like let's, Let's all hold hands and, and get through it. But in the reality, we're, is we're dealing with a world where there's a lot of sin and a lot of sin that's been around for a long time. And I think it's healthy for us to sit there and lament and to read passages where we do cry out for justice and we just ask God to, to meet us in that place. Um, last thing, this is, this is a bit of a conditional one, but um, as I think as we all probably would, would know, being in the pastor elder role, um, people may be listening to this and you may have heard something that, made the hair on the back of your neck stand up and you're angry, um, I would encourage us to to think through, is this a fact or is this an opinion that I'm angry about? Mm-hmm. Um, and to do exactly what Pete said, to think through that, to pray through that. And if it's something, you know, you need to talk to someone else in the church about or talk to one of us about, um, think through why what you may have heard surprised you or made you angry and process that with somebody, mm-hmm. um, someone else in the church who you trust or or perhaps one of us. Because we realize that, there are things said in this conversation that could be their own separate, you know, three-hour conversation. We could talk about the history of the church or the term white privilege or the, the concept of what it means, what whiteness means as a term. Each of those is their own subject. So please don't see this as like a conclusive be-all, end-all. But th- we think through um, a lot of the things that may have, have shocked you from this. Yeah, and I, I would add, um, personally, if I've said anything, please don't talk to everyone else about it. Talk to me. Like, feel free to text me, call me, be like, yo, we, you know, I, I, there was a a sermon I preached in Ephesians and someone was offended. And I was so thankful that they took, we went to lunch and they were like, yo, you said this. 
and I clarified, oh, I, I did say it like that, but here's what I meant. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was like, oh, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And that's what needs to happen. That was, that's what you know, so especially in conversations like this where, you know, we're talking about things that are very deep and historic and there's a lot of emotion attached and there's a lot of pain and suffering attached. Um, we're not doing this in an effort to stir the pot or kick the hornet's nest. We're, we're doing this to try to, to unify and to move forward in a positive direction. So if we've said anything, please contact us. Amen. Matthew 18 says, if your brother offends you, go to your brother. So please, my email uh, is the church email, eternalcitychurch at gmail.com. Call me. Uh, those of you who know me, you, you have my phone number. I'm not going to put it out there on the internet all like that. <laughs> but, but call me. Um, and I think you brothers would say the same. Yeah, call Eddie. Call Eddie. If I've offended you, too bad. Pray about it. (laughs) Too bad you're offended. Pray about it. No, I'm kidding. No, but seriously, get in touch with us. If we've offended you, we'll you know we can we can hash it out. We can talk. Yeah, and and here's something that I found really helpful. This seems like it should be obvious, but it's not. Yeah, I I know. Just because we might disagree doesn't mean we don't like each other or we can't fellowship or we can't be brothers and sisters or we can't go to the same church. That's just not true. So unity doesn't mean we all agree on every situation, circumstance, social, cultural issue. That that doesn't mean that. So when Jesus prayed that we would be one, he didn't mean that we would be rubber stamps. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Agree. Amen. Amen. So I can disagree with Eddie and still love Eddie very deeply. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean that if I disagree agree with him i hate him right it's just garbage that's a satanic trap yeah that we don't ascribe to yeah he could just be wrong that's all (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes i am no doubt and 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 just to close for our police officers you know my cousin's a police officer uh one of our members is a police officer uh we we have love for you guys and we we are praying for you guys and we see you guys out there um putting yourself in harm's way. And then the spouses, uh, you know, my cousin I'm thinking of and, and another church member yeah, church uh, who's a spouse a of a police officer. officer. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, the, man, those police officers go out at night and they might not come back. And we need to think about that, that they're going out and they're putting themselves in harm's way every time that, you know, call comes into the station, 911. And I've called the police myself for help because mm-hmm. I've been in ugly situations before where I'm like, I'm not going outside to handle that. And so who do I call? I call the police and they come and they handle it. Uh, and so we, we should not um, dis- discredit or discard the, the hard job that police actually have. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So we don't want to leave the podcast without saying that and, yep. and saying, police, we're praying for you. Amen. And um, and we want unity. We, we really do. That's what we want to see happen. Okay. Love you guys. Culture Conversations. Out.